So for this week's episode, we got a real short one. I assume this week probably won't have a ton. Uh, who knows though, sometimes I say that and it goes on and on. But yeah, we're uh, just kind of in between, still doing tech tests, trying to figure out how to get stuff working on the road. And this one really is just random, where we watched M Squad and then the Mod Squad. So just because M Squad is such a stiff 1950s show and... The Mod Squad is such a free-flowing, cool, hippie 60s show. Of course, I always think about things in Simpsons terms. So I was like, oh, I got a clip from The Simpsons about that, about how Abe Simpson is all about Johnny Unitas and his perfect haircut. And uh, Mother Simpson, who I got to admit, I don't remember her name, <laughs> but she liked the new players with the big sideburns and, like, you know, the, uh, the hippie revolution. So we just watched that one little clip. And then we were like, hey, you know what? We should actually just watch that whole episode. It's a classic episode of The Simpsons about how come Homer's mom isn't around. So I don't really have any particular details about it. It is uh, season seven, episode eight. It is called Mother Simpson. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess let's just watch it. I assume anybody checking this out, they've probably seen it before. Everybody who's into The Simpsons has seen every episode 80 times. <laughs> so, so it's not like uh, any trivia. Oh, hold on train going by again. I'm sadly next to a train line, which, like, why? Why would you build a building this close? But I don't think I have seen it, and I think I can relate to it. I'm probably Mother Simpson. Yeah, and uh, and this was also just, uh, you know, there's different uh, arguments about when The Simpsons was still good, like when it started to decline, but it's safe to say at this point, this was November 19th, 1995, that uh, it was still good. Everybody loves this episode. So, so yeah, we can't go wrong. Can't go wrong with this one. Uh, Glenn Close stars as Homer's mother. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. This is the kind of thing, too, with The Simpsons. One way I heard it described that always kind of stuck with me. You know, uh, like with Silly Putty, how you can press Silly Putty, say, on like a newspaper strip, and you get like an image of Dick Tracy on the Silly Putty. But then if you stretch the Silly Putty, it can never go back. You know, every time you stretch it, Dick Tracy's going to look weird and you can never make him look normal again. That's a theory I heard about what happened to The Simpsons, is it used to be a very down-to-earth, quite a realistic cartoon. But every time you stretch the silly putty, every time you do a weird thing, you can't go back again, you know? And like, by season five, Homer already went to outer space. By season 10 or so, he climbed their equivalent of Mount Everest. You know, every time something weird happens, you can't go back. So, of course, now that they're in season 35, of course it's a weird, bad show. <laughs> but at this point, season 7, I mean, this is still pretty wacky. The story of Homer's mom is, is weird, but the emotional core of it is still there, which is just something that The Simpsons does not have anymore. So, uh, yeah, so let's just watch Mother Simpson. And we'll see if we have anything <laughs> smarty pants to say about it, or if not, whatever. Again, this is just one of these in-between weeks while we're trying to figure out tech stuff. So yeah, we'll just watch a nice quick Little Simpsons. All right. Here's your caption, boys. Local hero, sun, spotlight, and pitches in. What an angle. Mm. I can't believe I'm spending my Saturday picking up dogs. So uh, I assume that uh, 
you know, just from the little clip, it probably seemed like it would be maybe a little more down to earth, right? About uh, Homer's mom realizing she doesn't have to just be a housewife and moving on to a, a more empowered future. But, but it's, you know, then of course the cartooniness comes in of Mr. Burns's germ lab and, you know, the radical uh, thing. She has to go on the run for 25 years. I guess it's probably a little less... Uh, relatable in that sense, right? No, but it had all the references to, uh, oh, Bobby Seals and Joan Namath, all those people who were uh, a big deal in the, in the late 1960s. Yeah, had all, the, all those kind of radical types. She made references to all, all, those, she, all those people she had, she had contacts with all the bigwigs of the day. Yeah, it's interesting to see it now, again, uh, that I'm older, I do know a lot of those references, but there's still a lot of stuff in there that, yeah, for me, it's still like the time bomb. It's like someday it'll come up in my life and I'll be like, oh, yeah, that. But like uh, a lot of that stuff, like I learned about later, but I learned about it first in The Simpsons. Like definitely, uh, definitely Walt Whitman leaves the grass my ass. <laughs> you know, I just thought that was funny. And I knew he was some kind of famous writer or poet or something, but I didn't really know who he was until then. And even just little stuff like... Uh, Maggie doing the dance with the band The Bottle, where it's like laughing, where they would write those slogans on their bodies and, you know, band the bomb or whatever and dance around. And then one of them is like super new, is those two FBI agents. I just thought they were funny. Like, you know, you've never been the same since your son went crazy in Vietnam. And, uh, but that's that's Dragnet, which I only know yes. because we watched it for this podcast, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so like I'm still catching up with all the references. Yeah, that's one thing. Those those writers of The Simpsons, it's amazing the the number of historical references that they put in. And obviously those guys lived that time. That's why those things are available to them and they know about them. But it's just incredible in a half hour show how many of those references they throw in there and they just keep coming at you. <laughs> it's just it's it's incredible. Amazing. Amazing writing. Another one was uh, the Lindbergh baby. I definitely knew about that first because of of Abe Simpson. And even that, it wasn't the Lindbergh baby part that I remembered. It was the, are you trying to distract us or are you just senile? And he goes, a little from column A, a little from column B. Like I've said that, a little from column A, a little from column B, probably 800 times in my life. <laughs> you know. So it wasn't the Lindbergh baby part I remembered, but that's in there. So then later it's like, oh yeah, I've heard of that. Like... Nine times out of ten, if I say, oh, yeah, I've heard of that, this is that's what I mean. It's just I heard about it on The Simpsons, and I didn't actually learn what it was till later. But, but you know, it gets your foot in the door. It, does, it gives you, like, a good uh, grounding of, like, I sort of kind of know about a bunch of stuff. And then later, it's up to you to actually learn about it. You know, The Simpsons can't teach you all the stuff, but it can, it can plant the seeds in your brain. This uh, this thought just came to me. That would be one very interesting way to teach history. If you showed a Simpsons episode, for example, and then you said to your students, that reference, uh, why don't you check that out and see what that was? And they'd learn one heck of a lot of history. Yeah, if you did uh, the annotated Simpsons, like there's no question you could... For each little 22-minute episode, you could spend a long time <laughs> diving into all this stuff. Well, in a classroom, you could give each, uh, maybe a little group of students, 
a reference and say, well, in that show that we just watched, there was this reference, there was that reference, that reference, that reference. Go check that out. Find out what the heck were they, who the heck was that they were talking about and what was the relevance of it? Yeah, actually, I just found on uh, the Wikipedia page, so it's got an entry for cultural references, which it probably has for like every episode of The Simpsons. So I'm just browsing through these real quick. And yeah, stuff like you said you remembered, like Bobby Seals' cookbook. Like, I don't know. I don't know who Bobby Seals is. Oh, he's a guy. <laughs> well, Bobby Seals was a radical black guy. Oh, so he didn't have a cookbook at all. <laughs> One of the Chicago Seven, I think. Okay. <laughs> because, see, I just assumed he was like, uh, you know, Julia Child or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> Oh, no, no. Bobby Seals is a, is a, was a radical. I think he was one of the Chicago Seven, but I'm, I'm not sure. I'd have to check that out. Oh, so again, yeah, and the other one, Jerry Rubin's line of diet shakes. So, yeah, like, I didn't get any of these jokes that these radical... Yeah, see, Jerry Rubin's was another one of these radical, uh, you know, you know, uh, against the government and all for justice and fairness. And yeah, you had nothing to do with cooking. <laughs> yeah. And then the third one is Tom Hayden's Porsche dealership. Tom Emmett Hayden was an American social and political activist, author, and politician. See, I, like, I didn't get any of those jokes, even a little. Like, I didn't get that, that the joke was that none of these people would be involved in these things. Man, you had the layers of The Simpsons. It's absurd. Uh, and the other one here that it's mentioning that I still, this is another one that I still don't know anything about. Mona tells Lisa about reading the book A Separate Piece, being hardly ninth grade level. And yeah, and then uh, they both say, or she says that she hates John Knowles. And yeah, A Separate Piece by John Knowles, 1959. I don't know anything about this book. Like this one has never come into my life. Do you know that book? No, it's kind of sounds but no, I can't really say for certain that I do. It's a little sound, something about it sounds kind of familiar, but I, I couldn't really tie it down. Set against the backdrop of World War II, a separate piece explores morality, patriotism, and loss of innocence in relationship, blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, yeah, that's, uh, that's like, in some ways, it's like the Simpsons writers showing off. It's like they're, it's like they're doing the writing version of an acrobatics routine that you can work references like that into the show and not just that one. There's a bunch of them that like the show is strong enough by itself. And just the jokes about Homer ruining the moment and a Pelican dropping a fish in his pants. Like you can get away with, because that stuff will keep anybody watching that you can get away with these weird references. You can just throw them in and it doesn't even, it doesn't even slow the episode down. It's kind of remarkable how they do that. But that's the beauty of that show and why it's longevity is it works on on any number of levels. It's not just a, a flat one level show. It the the more you watch it, the more of those references you get. Because just watching it once, you can't possibly pick up on all those references. There's just too many of them. You'd have to watch that well that episode, for example, you'd have to watch that three or four times to pick up on all of those references. I think even watching it twice, you wouldn't get them all. You just, then you have to write them down and say, oh yeah, I remember that, but what do I remember about it? Yeah, and I mean, I've probably, it sounds like an exaggeration, but they used to play The Simpsons at five o'clock on CBC and then twice for an hour on Fox later in the evening. So I watched it three times a day for years. So I've seen this episode, you know, 30 times easy. And yeah, there's all kinds of stuff in here that I still am yet to untangle, like all the stuff and what it means. 
Oh yeah, one thing that's weird also, just because of the passage of time, is this was 1995, a lot of the references obviously are, they're always kind of throwback references, but especially in this one, because it was about Mona's her name, right? Mona Simpson? It's weird that I don't know <laughs> that character's I name. I don't even remember what her name was. Yeah, it is Mona Simpson. Mom. So because it was mostly about her her younger days, there's a, an especially large number of uh, throwback references in this episode. But they still, you know, to throw a bone to the modern day person, there's that joke. Oh, hold on, let me let this train go by. Here it comes. There was that line where where Lisa says that Mona Simpson's reappearance is like something out of Dickens or Melrose Place, which at the time, you know, that was a contemporary reference, Melrose Place, which was interesting, too, because we just talked about that last week with uh, Aaron Sorkin. But not Aaron Sorkin, Aaron whatever. What's spelling. That? Aaron Spelling. Aaron Spelling. <laughs> but, uh, but that's funny, too, because it's been 30 years now, Melrose Place it, to me, Melrose Place is the same type of reference as these other references are to you. Like, that's the reference from my youth. <laughs> it's just much, much stupider and, you know, not worth remembering. But it, it is interesting that so much time has passed that it's like the, the references that used to be the modern ones are now 30 years old. Anyway, there's no question that that, that is some pretty fantastic writing for what everybody blew off as a simple little cartoon that parents of the day didn't want their children watching because it had uh, a little bit of swear words and that kind of, you know, how ridiculous that was. If they just paid a little more attention to it, they'd see that it's a wonderfully written show. Yeah. And, uh, and it's obviously a bit of a, a bummer that the Simpsons is so much worse now, but uh, on the other hand, I mean, it's remarkable just that it's still running. <laughs> I think it's season 35. It might be 36 that it's up to. So, I mean, it's easy just to, just whatever, just just cut it off after the 90s and just, you know, appreciate that for what it was. But as a good example of how incredibly long it has gone, the only episode I remember Homer's mom from is this episode. But according to this wiki page, uh, this is her first of 11 guest appearances as Homer's mother. <laughs> you know, safe to say it's a little less moving on the 11th time that she showed up. But just because the shows run for like hundreds of episodes, I mean, I again, I don't know. I don't know how they, I wouldn't have any way to do it either. I, I would have just canceled it. <laughs> like, for God's sake, let this show rest. You should hear, oh, the poor lady, Julie Kavner, who does Marge's voice. Everyone else's voice is holding up pretty well. But she was a bit older already when the show started, and that's not her normal voice. She's got to do that Marge voice, and it just sounds like she has the worst laryngitis all the time. That's just how Marge sounds now. And it's like, for God's sake, let this poor woman rest. Just cancel this show. <laughs> it's been on long enough, you know? Well, and especially if, if you cannot keep up the pace of that early writing, you really do the show an injustice. And at the end, if it's not, if it can't keep up that, and it can't, there's no way that anybody can keep that momentum going at that, at that pace that they were doing in the early years, you do it a discredit because people will just remember it as something that was very flat. And it's a shame because that, that early stuff is really amazing. Yeah. That was really a, 
one thing that my friend Matt pinpointed that I think he's right is when The Simpsons really was done for, you know, it hit a point where it wasn't that funny anymore. But then it hit a point where it wasn't that funny and they started explaining the jokes. And the theory is that maybe it could be because The Simpsons runs in virtually every country in the world. And, you know, just to make sure that everyone could understand what was going on, they just couldn't do this type of thing anymore. They could not make a show this dense and layered and full of stuff that, you know, just nobody would understand what the hell was going on. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, that I guess that makes sense. But it is can never be the same after that. No. And when you start having to explain jokes, it's time to call it a day. Because that's the beauty of those original shows. You don't have to get all those references right off the top. The show stands alone by itself without those things. But the beauty of that show is all those background references that just keep coming at you, coming at you, coming at you. That is a sign of excellent, excellent writing. And and they don't care if you get the, you don't have to get the reference right off. They don't care if you get it. So they don't have to explain it. If you really want to know about it, you'll go check it out yourself. Yeah, I mean, like I was saying, there's some of those references that I still don't fully get. <laughs> you know, they still kind of pass me by. And I'm a grown-ass man now. I've seen this episode a million times. Oh, yeah, and I like, too, that even the goofy jokes, they even tend to make the goofy jokes still good. Like um, Chief Wiggum reading Homer's name upside down on the... Uh, on the tombstone, and he's like, uh, send out an APB for Eustace R. Dewo. Better start with Greek Town. <laughs> like, like that's still a cleverer version of reading a name upside down. <laughs> like, Eustace R. Dewo. What the hell is that? <laughs> but then also, just in case you really just don't, aren't getting any of these references or jokes on any level, then he's still, he's talking into his wallet. You know, that's just the fully dumb joke. So it's got smart, semi-smart, fully dumb, <laughs> you know, and it hits all all the, the colors of the rainbow. They're using that old uh, Shakespearean um, format, which was uh, you play the real dumb stuff to the, the, the plebs, the peasants, but you have all those references to historical, classical stuff, and that was for the, the, the higher-ups who were sitting in the, in the bleachers or in the higher-up seats. Because uh, yeah, Shakespeare's full of that same kind of thing. Just and that's why he has lasted so long. Whether you like him or you don't like him or you find him difficult, the more you read Shakespeare or see him, but mostly read it, those references just keep jumping out at you. You're saying, "Geez, how did this guy who, how does he know all this stuff? Like he he was nobody who had any formal education of any sort, but yeah." It, his plays are just loaded with all those those references that the more you watch it, the more you get. So that's the formula that Simpson uses. Yeah, and that's one thing that I don't know uh, if Shakespeare had a uh, bee in his bonnet or had something to prove. I'm not really sure what motivated Shakespeare necessarily to, to put that much work into stuff. But it is interesting with those early Simpsons writers for the first 10 years or so, uh, there's this book called The Oral History of the Simpsons that's just like they interviewed everybody they could think of and then they organized the quotes into a book. And these guys just had something to prove. Like this was the first primetime cartoon since the Flintstones. It had been a long time. And, 
you know, they had a little bit of buzz, again, mostly just from Bart saying swear words, and, you know, it was the new cool show. And instead of just being a flash in the pan, instead of just being this little thing that everybody talked about for one year and then forgot about, it's just, and these guys were all, you know, smarty pants, educated people too. They just had something like a weird burr in their saddle that they're like, we just want to show everybody how awesome a cartoon for grown-ups and for kids in prime time can be. And that's so common now. It's totally normal now with Family Guy, Rick and Morty. I mean, there's literally hundreds of them now. But it's weird to think that when The Simpsons came out, it was only The Simpsons and before them, 30 years before The Flintstones. Like, there was just nothing. And they were like, man, we're going to... We're just going to kick the door down. <laughs> and they did. They did such a good job that their show is now a zombie that will not die. <laughs> you 